Hello and welcome to the 2021 Dublin Literary Award Shortlist Podcast, presented as part of the International Literature Festival Dublin. My name is Jessica Trainer, And my name is Maeve Higgins. In this special podcast series, we'll explore each novel in detail as we chat exclusively to the authors shortlisted for the award, the winner of which will be announced on the 20th of May as part of International Literature Festival Dublin, which, like the award, is sponsored by Dublin City Council. Now, the award is the world's most valuable annual prize for a single work of fiction in English or translated into English. It's worth €100,000 to the winner or winners. On today's episode, we're going to be chatting about The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead, the double Pulitzer winner and National Book Award winner um, and writer of The Underground Railroad. Um, Maeve, this is a really fascinating book, which I started reading it, expecting it to end one way, and it had a fantastic twist in its tale, which I'm obviously not going to give away. Yeah. Okay, good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But it just, it was something that I didn't expect and I thought was really artfully done. Um, He's a wonderful writer, Colson Whitehead. I find his work tremendously accessible, you know? I mean, he writes beautifully, but there is definitely an emphasis on plot that you don't always get with literary fiction um, and everything is so well paced. And this is a story of um, what we would call an industrial school in Florida. It's based on a real school, um, but the story is fictionalized. So um, he's changed the name of the school to the Nickel Academy. Um, and he starts off the story talking about um, the the excavation, the archaeological excavation of an unmarked graveyard. Um, only three years after the school was closed and that is based on true events um, that occurred in Florida and to me reading it as an Irish person it was really a, a punch to the solar plexus because we have here shades of Bespera and um, you know it, it felt like being brought into a lot of our own history that we're living through at the moment in terms of how we're dealing with the mother and baby homes how we've recently uh, attempted to or failed to deal with the legacies of um, Magdalene Laundries of, of the industrial schools as well. That's um, so like sorry Jessica but you're just making me think like now we're finally hearing those voices right and what Colson Whitehead does is he invents characters but like that's another way of getting kind of the truth of a voice out there and these voices have been silenced deliberately for for so long so I more power to him you know I was so impressed yeah, yeah. And it's a book that even after those opening pages, I felt tenderized like a piece of meat. You know, oh, I was kind of ready for, I was ready for disaster, but it's mm. not a misery memoir. Um, there's something much more subtle going on here. Um, yes, there are kind of catalogues of some of the horrible abuses that go on, but you know, this isn't the familiar kind of misery story. Uh, he's talking about something different and he's doing something different with his kind of wonderful main character, Elwood, who is just a really, really attractive and engaging character. Mm-hmm. And he has him engage with the works of Martin Luther King and kind of struggle with this idea that Martin Luther King kind of preached about, about kind of transcending the hatred of the situation in which you find yourself. So yes, it's a great, there's a discussion on, on race in it, obviously, and class. Again, like so many of the books that we're dealing with at the moment, there's a kind of a sense that we have to come to terms with mm-hmm. the realities. Like a reckoning, of, yeah. Reckoning, yeah, of, of what class 
class and race has meant for people around the world uh, over the past century. Um, but these are characters who are somehow mentally struggling to overcome. Um, so it's not just about familiar story about a boy being ground down into the dirt. Yeah. Um, you know, he's doing something different to that. I think um, he's such a he's such a writer against cliche or things that have been done a lot. You know, um he you're you're right, like he doesn't go for the it's awful and I'm I'm about to lay out in 200 pages like how awful it is. He's he's more asking a question that's sort of yes the world is dangerous and terrible. So, okay, how do you figure yeah. out how to be in that world? <laughs> and that's so yeah. much more interesting and, um, you know, and humane, I think. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because it reminds me of of a little bit of, of the way that Tayari Jones in American, um, American Marriage. Oh, I have to read that. Um, it's a wonderful book. And I, I was lucky enough to interview her last year for, oh. for the short list. But the two of them seem to be kind of struggling with uh, the notion of what institutions do to humanity, like mm. how they affect human beings, how they allow human beings to transgress in one area and be brutal in one area mm. and, and then not be brutal in others, how they allow us to kind of compartmentalize our worst selves. Mm. Um, and, and that's something that the characters kind of struggle with and come to terms with. And it's so interesting to see those things happening in America now with the kind of prison industrial complex, which obviously this is part of, and then our own reckoning with institutions um, and, and just looking at again, in connection with Ocean Vong's book, like how we how we as nations kind of cannibalize our own to some extent um but i'd just love you to to read um maybe the 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 first extract um and i think there's some interesting stuff in it about how violence perpetuates violence okay there was nothing to read apart from the gator the school newspaper and a pamphlet commemorating the school's 50th anniversary both printed on the other side of campus by nickel students Every boy in every picture was smiling, but even after Elwood's short stay, he recognized a kind of nickel deadness in their eyes. He suspected that he had it now too, now that he had been fully in roles. Turning slowly on his side, propped on an elbow, he went through the pamphlet a few times. The state opened the school in 1899 as the Florida Industrial School for Boys a reform school where the young offender of law, separated from vicious associates, may receive physical, intellectual and moral training, be reformed and restored to the community with purpose and character fitting for a good citizen, an honourable and an honest man with a trade or a skilled occupation fitting such person for self-maintenance. The boys were called students rather than inmates to distinguish them from the violent offenders that populated prisons. All the violent offenders, Elwood added, were on staff. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. I think just and and those quotes are actually taken from a pamphlet for the real school in Florida. So you know it's a oh, fabulous God. piece of exposition, but it just gives this is this is real ideology, and um, you know this sense that people were going to be improved, and yet this uh, you know the the notion that the violence. The violence is not coming from outside of the the school; it's coming from the inside, and um, and it's this kind of sense that in society, in every society, we seem to need to set somebody up to be the loser, somebody up to fail, and um, you know, and the word scapegoat is bandied around a lot, but but these children are used as kind of scapegoats, you know, they are they are sacrificed for the sins of a wider community, and um, and and it's incredibly tragic. Uh, will you read the other tiny little extract as well for us, Maeve? Definitely. 
Now he worked on a new theory. There was no higher system guiding Nichols' brutality, merely an indiscriminate spite, one that had nothing to do with people. A figment from 10th grade science struck him, a perpetual misery machine, one that operated by itself without human agency. Also Archimedes, one of his first encyclopedia finds, violence is the only lever big enough to move the world. Yeah, I just Poor think Elwood. that in, in a book <laughs> with such, you know, spare kind of propulsive prose, that's a beautiful piece of poetry. It's so lyrical and it's so true. This notion that the violence is, mm. is, is the lever. Um, and, and also the notion that this kind of spite is channeled through people. Um, there's, there's something really sad and nihilistic about that, but there's also kind of a, a little bit of transcendence. And he has been thinking about Martin Luther King and how you overcome the cycle of racism. Um, and, and again, it's not about kind of individual people, it's about collective action um, and what we can do. Um, but it's an interesting book, like without giving too much away, mm -hmm. there is a redemptive quality to it, but not an immediate redemption. Um, and I think that has an interesting message for our times as well, when we're struggling uh, with so much, you know, we're, we're looking at the legacy of Black Lives Matter. Uh, we're looking at, you know, in the States again, uh, violence towards Asian Americans um, and issues of racism in our own society uh, in Ireland too. Um, right. And this is kind of a work of historical fiction, but yeah, like you just listed all of these things that it's so relevant to, to today, you know, which is obviously on purpose. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that he does that so deftly and mm. it doesn't ever feel heavy handed. Yeah. Um, and again, I think that's what that's what you can always count on in a Colson Whitehead novel <laughs> that you will be, you know, there's going to be a lightness of touch. Uh, there's going to be paciness and dynamics, but also a message that will linger with you. Unfortunately, Colson Whitehead hasn't been able to join us for this episode of the podcast, but we're going to go over now to the wonderful musician and writer Jess Kavanagh, who has had a chance to read The Nickel Boys and is going to discuss it with me now. So Jess, you have just had a chance to read The Nickel Boys and uh, tell me a little bit about your experience uh, coming to grips with it over the last couple of days. <laughs> So I've, I've read it over the last uh, two days and um, I only just finished it. I'm, 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 I'm shook. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm fairly shook. It is, it is a, a beautiful book. It is so beautifully written, but, and, and the story is, is incredible, but, but certainly um, so, so harrowing as well. So, yeah, so I was, I, I did, I did the thing of like, you know, getting the audio book and I put it in my ears and I, I sat in a park yesterday and I had an illegal pint in the park and I listened to the book and I was just like, this is a great idea until of course I started crying on my own in the park, you know? And, um, but yeah, it was, that's, that's the kind of emotions that this book, you know, will, will, will invoke well, certainly in me. Yeah. Yeah, I think literature, literature, more powerful and stronger than any illegal substance that you can <laughs> that you can find in the pandemic. I think, um, but it's Absolutely. a real, but it's a real page turner of a book, you know. And I think that's one of his skills as a writer. Like we know coming to the book that we're going to be dealing with weighty, heavy subject matter and subject matter that is very devastating. And um, but you know, it's it it is the kind of book where you you are compelled to keep turning the pages, and he does that so well, doesn't? 
absolutely like you're you're so you're so rooting for for Elwood um you know especially you know at the beginning the the way that he 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 sets up um you know our, our, our protagonist is this just really um interesting young guy who obviously has a huge amount of potential he's influenced by Martin Luther King he's influenced by um, you know the, the the civil rights movement and the protests that are going on. He's he's influenced by it so much that even his his grandmother, who looks after him, who has always you know been afraid of being involved in any kind of protesting or anything else, she starts to get involved and she starts to become excited about what's happening and the change that's going on. Um, and and as we you know continue into the story, it, it becomes darker and and that hope, that light of hope starts to diminish as we continue. And, you know, to the point that you kind of go, God, I mean, if you're probably listening to this being like, oh, that, that sounds like such a such a difficult thing to read. But you're holding on and, and that hope is is there for, for the whole book. Um, and, you know, it's it's interesting. I was listening to or sorry, I was reading some of some of the reviews of the book that came out, in particular, the, the Guardian review that I was reading. And it's interesting that it was it was referring to the book as as historical. And I was kind of like, hmm, I'd like, you know, that's, I'd like to completely challenge that. I mean, the, the, the reformatory school in Florida where the book is based on called Dozier um, closed in 2011. So this is not, this is not history. This is, the, you know, and the history gives you this yeah. sense of unreachability, but these people are, are alive, you know, um, and the people who, who endured this kind of abuse mm. um, are very much a part of our society and that abuse and that system is very much still a part of our society. So I think it's it's very important to remember that, that as much as this is somewhat a, a, an account of what happened in the 60s, this actual system itself um, is, is still within our society, for very much so. Yeah, and it's just morphed into the, the, the kind of the industrial prison complex in the States, where a huge, hugely disproportionate percent of the population uh, are, are people of colour, you know, or people of mixed race or people from minorities. Um, and and looking at, I think the interesting thing is, you know, he uses some, uh, Colson Whitehead uses some actual text from the Dozier's, uh, one of their kind of... Um, information leaflets at one stage he uses it verbatim in the book um, and it's all this kind of pride around the brick factory and all of the things that are created by these people who have been incarcerated here you know and and then you look at you know inmates in America making license plates and doing all sorts of different uh, kinds of industry for tiny amounts of money and you think my goodness this is this is just the slave trade um kind of hidden behind the notion okay. of uh, crime and punishment it's it's quite frightening when you think of that absolutely i just just capitalism you know but just just gestures and everything capitalism mm. you know and there it, it reminds me and I, I i kind of wrote this down as well you know there's nearly at the end of the book um whitehead he he talks about how i think i have the i wrote in the 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 quote here their daddies taught them how to keep a slave in line passed down this brutal heirloom. And I, I, I loved that, that quote because it's so, so true that oppression can mutate, you know, and although slavery is, is now considered illegal, um, that yeah. those modes of oppression were, were still happening within this reformatory school and um, possibly still happening, you know, in real life up until 2011. 
those, you know, those we, we have um, Derek Chauvin, um, who is who has now been been tried um, and, and gone to jail for murder, but we still have um, one of the killers of Breonna Taylor getting a book deal. You know, so we are we are still living in this world. You know, where where this this oppression is still there and it's mutated and it's so interesting that he talks a lot about you know Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. And, and and suffering is this enduring um, part of the black community in America, and and this this suffering will will turn into and, and manifest into something mm-hmm. bigger, and on a general sense of acceptance, and that is that is true, and I love that sense of hope. But at the same time, it's like, what about this uh, heirloom, as he says, or this heirloom, sorry, of of um, op- oppression and techniques of oppression coming from the other end. And how do we deal with that? Because it's still there. Yeah. And it's something I think we need to deal with in our own society as well. And we have this very simplistic view of history is that everything is constantly marching forward when actually progress is generally speaking one step forward two steps back, yeah. <laughs> you know, or, well, hopefully two steps forward, one step back. Yes. But, but, you know, things do not, like, it, things just don't get better and stay better. These ideas of oppression and racism are kind of codified within our society. And although we can make a big leap forward with something, say, like, uh, you know, the repeal of the eighth referendum here, that doesn't just suddenly burn away all of the other issues in society. Um, and I was so struck in reading the, the, the first pages of the book um, where he talks, Whitehead, really dispassionately about the the archaeologists coming into the site of this reformatory school and, and discovering the secret graveyard. And this is something that really happened. And I was so struck by the parallels with, with what's currently happening in Bessborough, where, you know, the, there's this desire to build apartments on this land, um, but there's this pesky bunch of women who babies might be buried there. And, and the fact that there's even discussion around this is so frightening to me and, and, and again shows that thing of, okay, you know, we are recognizing some of the, um, the, the horrific incidents in our history, but we're not necessarily doing anything to redress you know it's almost as if okay this bad thing happened and we acknowledge it and now it's in the past you know it's it's like what you were saying about the 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 notion of history in the book and it's history but it's also still happening Mm -hmm. yeah uh, absolutely and i'm I'm very lucky that i I, i've been working a lot with with kaylin hogan and and the community of of survivors and adoption activists like noel brown and terry harrison and you know you know, speaking, we were recently speaking to, um, you know, survivors and people who've grown up around Sean Ross Abbey, you know, and and there is very much a discussion around how do we commemorate? How do we um, find a way to, to not necessarily place a milestone, but to begin a sense of collective healing? And, you know, there, there is, there is other countries that are, that are able to really acknowledge the cruelty within um their society and it's the acknowledgement of that cruelty almost is is a way for it to be perceived as history and also a what's the word i'm looking for a commitment to that that cruelty not not occurring again and that's how we begin that healing we haven't done that and we we, we see that with the mother and baby um home commission report you know so many things were not acknowledged uh, racial discrimination for example was not acknowledged. It was said that there was no, within this report, it said there was no evidence of racial discrimination. 
and that's and that's against people of color that's against people who are disabled and, pe- and people of the traveler community that there was no evidence of discrimination we all know that's untrue so we we're doing it now you know we are we are we're not acknowledging um that there is this uh, oppression and this oppression is, is still there within mm-hmm. our society and because we're not acknowledging it because we're not um taking accountability that oppression is then allowed to mutate you know and um it very much you're, you're right when i when i opened the book and i was like this might be very triggering for me <laughs> i'll see how i get on and yeah. i opened the book and i was just like oh geez <laughs> immediately i was like oh okay here we go yeah all right you know un- unmarked graves okay <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And and the notion then that this mall was just built over this area and even the way that the archaeologists are described in it, they're not necessarily that uh, sympathetic, you know. There's the notion that they've made they had this big professional success mm. by finding this uh this unmarked graveyard but not necessarily a sense of real empathy for for the remains that they find there, which is so interesting. Um, but I think one of the really interesting things for, for me as an Irish reader uh, around this book uh, is kind of looking at how it intersects with, with Irish history and how it's slightly different. Um, but one of the other intersections I found that was really fascinating was the notion of how um, people of mixed race were dealt with uh, and and also the kind of the segregation mm. within within this reform school. You know, there's the notion that absolutely... This is this is about oppression of working classes, um, but there is a slight difference. Uh, yes, the white boys are brought to the White House, which is where people are whipped, but there is another place uh, where something even worse happens without giving too much away, and that uh, Turner, one of the, the central characters' jokes, is still segregated, and it's only the, 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 the kids who are... Uh, people of colour like would would be brought to that, and um, but there's one mixed race child in the book, and nobody seems to know where to put him. Jamie, and he's a wonderful character, and he kind oh, of skips from one place to the other, um, and it's treated quite lightly in the book, like not in the sense of of not taking it seriously, but just Colson Whitehead. He is a funny writer. He's a witty writer, and um, he he looks at the absurdity of the racism as well as uh, you know cataloging the injustices. And um, but I was wondering how Jamie's experience spoke to your own experience which you've you've spoken about quite publicly in terms of your experience as part of your family in Ireland mm-hmm. what one of the, the it did make me giggle you know there's there's a part in the book where they're talking about Jamie when they introduce him and they say that uh, they put him in the white group they put him in over with the whites um and put him out in the fields and then when he got too tanned they threw him over with the with with the black kids and I just that made me laugh you know um I for me, what it reminded me of, in particular, was speaking to survivors um, who who had gone in, who who were survivors of the the industrial schools and the orphanages in Ireland. And uh, there is, you know, not once again, not to give too much away, but there is an, an implication as you continue on with the book and you get to know Jamie that there is a moment where um, a potential revenge may be enacted, and they're talking about the people who are their oppressors and, and who, you know, um, hurt them every day. And he just keeps saying this one person over and over again. And there's this quite heavy coded implication that he's been sexually assaulted basically by this, by this person. And, and it reminded me of, you know, the, the sexualization of, of mixed kids at that time, because uh, you, if you were in an, you know, if you were a product of, of, of an interracial um, relationship, 
then it, it that was that was lustful that was not about family that was not about procreation it was it was it was a lustful um you know conception conception and so as a result there is this, there is this sexualization then um towards mixed children and this sense of deviance onto 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 mixed children and i remember um you know speaking to a mixed survivor about that and and the way that they mm-hmm. would have gotten they, they said it in, in a very disturbing way, um, good attention or bad attention. And yeah, and so, so to that, that's what it reminded me of very, very much. So um, my, my mother was, was adopted from birth, um, but, but certainly there was, uh, there was shame. There was very much shame around, around having a, a child out of wedlock, but also a child out of wedlock that was a, that was a child of colour. Very, very much so, um, and then trying to navigate between those worlds within an Irish society, you know, in in the in the sixties yeah. and seventies mm. would have been would have been very, very difficult, um, you know, and you know, it te- you know, it still is for a lot of people, um, but yeah, yeah, that's I, it. Would, Jamie, Jamie's a great character, a really, really good character, and you uh, definitely somebody that like you root for, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. And you kind of see him moving from one place to the other. And and as the tension builds in the book, you kind of hope that he'll continue to go under the radar in some sense, you know, because this is such a brutal place that even the sense that people kind of keep shunting him from one side to the other, you hope that he won't be in one place long enough for something bad to happen. Um, because there, that is kind of hanging over you with all of the characters throughout the book. Um, but there's some really interesting, you know, and again, I think Colson Whitehead does this with such a lightness of touch. There's some really interesting kind of philosophy in the book. Um, and I think that the way that Elwood in particular thinks and theorizes about what happens to him is really great for the reader because it gives us that kind of time to reflect on what that experience might be and what it might be like for you know a child of his age somebody with so much potential somebody living in the time when history is starting to open up a little bit for people of color in the US with with the civil rights movement and things like that and it all getting whipped away and he never he never really loses hope, um, but he does kind of tangle with that Martin uh, Luther King quote, you know, the notion that throw us in jail and we'll still love you. Um, and he's kind of thinking he's in this terrible place and he's thinking about, like, how do you enact that? Um, did you find that very moving? I, yes and no. I, I identified with it. I identified with his grapple with 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 that term, the idea that, you know, a, a place where we ideally all should be at is a place where we, you know, we love our enemy. Yeah. You know, and that people can imprison us, people can hurt us, and, and you know, we can still love them or we can still look at them from a place of love and a, and a place of empathy. And um, it's it's the grappling that I really identify with because he's he's intelligent enough you know the, the wonderful Elwood he he's smart and he's and he's intelligent enough to know that this is so so wrong and he's smart and intelligent to know that if he was going to move forward and have the life that he wants to live and um, he should get to this point of of emotional strength but but it's hard it's hard to to be it's hard to believe that um and I think the words that that Martin Luther King you know that 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 are quoted within the book. You know they're there for for hope, and they're there for scaffolding, and they're there to prop people up at moments of of deep, um, 
vulnerability and, and, and disillusionment. The what's kind of needed after that then is 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 the practicality to to to, to get to a point of, of genuine equality. And uh, but what I like about it is is there is you're in that liminal space. You're in that space where these this rhetoric is coming through. This rhetoric of empowerment for Black people is coming through, yeah. and he's there, and he's in these moments of deep vulnerability and 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 deep disillusionment, and he has that there to keep him sane or to keep him going. But despite that, around him, there's there's so much oppression and there's so many horrible things, um, and that's mm-hmm. and that's very much reflecting. Sorry to be so <laughs> to be so um, down, not not down in the dumps, but to to be what like yeah, like it's very much reflecting now. It's it you know it's very much reflecting where we are at the moment. You know, words of hope and, you know, surrounding us is is a, is a dumpster fire. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, the other the other kind of main thing that he comes up with is this notion that, you know, violence is the lever that moves the world. Um, so, you know, we do get both sides of 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 the notion we get that he, he's not a romantic. I mean, he is in some ways he's an idealist, but he is also shown to to understand this notion that in the world that he's been thrown into, it seems that violence is the only thing that makes things happen because there's a really sad moment, isn't there, when he's trying to, like, write to newspapers uh, to expose what's happening. Um, and it just goes to show that language, you know, it, it, it works for certain people and it doesn't for others, you know. It, it, language is in the employ of those who have the power in, to be very Foucault about it. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, because he, he educates himself and he, he acts... You know, he acts upon himself to keep himself, you know, educated and not, not to give too much away. But yeah, he, you know, he's he's a he's a very smart guy, and and he was on his way to 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 go on to the next step where where he was stopped and employed in a in a in a crime, and you know, so he takes it upon himself. You know, he's a great grifter, Elwood, and all he has, yeah, all he has is his, is his words and his morality, you know, and the fact that he believes that once he has that that sense of strong morality and, and almost to a point of you know I would say strong spirituality because you know Martin Luther King he, he was a spiritual man and to and to love your enemy is is a and to have that extension of empathy is is a very spiritual spiritual act. So he has the, this this wonderful scaffolding within him and then he also has his articulation he has his words and he hopes that if he can get these words out he can he can change the world. And and that is a hope that a lot of us a lot of us have, and I I very much I very much identify with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think this book is important in that it shows that there is a worth to that drive, and it is a worthy drive, and it is a drive that should be clung to, even if it doesn't always work. Um, and I'd love to talk a little bit about the character of of Turner. Um, I think he's a wonderful. He's just a wonderful kind of mirror to Elwood and their relationship is so lovely. And, and he is this kind of uh, like more worldly wise <laughs> version of Elwood in a way, isn't he? He's, he's wonderful. And, you know, it's it's so hard, um, you know, the way that the book is set up to immediately see yourself in Elwood. I certainly did. And then so when these things begin to happen, I they, I feel like they're happening to me. You know, so so when Turner shows up, I'm just like, I need Turner. <laughs> like, yeah. for the, like when I'm reading this book, I need to, he's this kind of relaxing, um, grounding character in it. Um, you know, where where Elwood is kind of like, this isn't happening to me. La 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 la. I can definitely get through yeah. this. You know, yeah. I'm definitely going to get out. And Turner's like, okay, this is the way the world works. 
and and that's I, I really, really love love his character. He's fantastic, yeah. There's one of my favourite exchange between the two of them is where Elwood is reading a book and it's clearly Pride and Prejudice and he explains it to Turner. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like this girl is trying to find a husband and Turner's like, what, is she ugly? And uh, Elwood says, it says that she has a handsome face. <laughs> Turner just says, damn. He's like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. I love it. It was it's it was great. It was great. It was really, really yeah. great. So that's another thing to kind of definitely emphasize about the book for people who haven't read it. You know, I when I picked it up, I was expecting this to be like bludgeoning levels of misery. And it definitely does tug at the heartstrings where it needs to, and it says some really important things. But there is a lot of joy in it as well. And, um, you know, I think that Colson Whitehead just draws his characters with such affection that even though you know that there's going to be tragedy in store for them, you just enjoy time spent with them, don't you? Very much so. It's, you know, and it's and it's important to remember that, you know, that is that, you know, that is cruelty. You know, a cruelty is is a multifaceted, multi-layered entity. And, you know, there's moments where they're eating ice cream and they're laughing and out the window is a is a mound of unmarked graves called Boot Hill, you know, and that's, and they can see it from where they are or, you know, and that is, and that is the reality of, yeah. of, of their life. Yeah. Um, and so, th- you know, that, that really, that really struck me when I was reading the book, mm-hmm. you know, there's moments of these, yeah, moments of elation and, and, and childhood, you know, attempts at, not attempts at innocence, but yeah, childhood innocence and, and childhood goings on as, as you do when you're that age. And then, you know, there's moments where they're talking about going from house to house and avoiding the hill. And the hill, of course, is the is the hill of unmarked graves. And it's, you know, that kind of juxtaposition is is so, um, so impactful, but yeah. so very, very real. Um, I also love I, I wanted to mention as well is is the character of Harriet. I, I loved I loved her. And I mean, my heart, my heart breaks for her. You know, and but I think she's such an important character as well with, within the book. You know, uh, Harriet being Elwood's grandmother who who raises him when his his mother and father decide to leave for California because they just can't do the South anymore. And you know, when you kind of go through, there's there's a part that they talk about. I think I've I've written it down here, which I loved about Harriet. She was a survivor, but the world took her in bites. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that was just like wow. Yeah, and then she laments having bought him the the Martin Luther King <laughs> record and giving him notions. You know, um, yeah. it's another moment where I was like, she's like an Irish granny saying, "You've got notions," <laughs> but she's but she's right in a way in this really tragic way. She has this lived experience of of what what can happen and the dangers of considering your place within this very dangerous mm. American South yeah. and trying and to change things. Yes, yeah, I think I think her her experience as you know, I, somebody, I, I would assume in kind of her late 50s. So it's the 1960s. So you're talking to somebody who was born, you know, in, in the kind of early 1900s. And their understanding of the world is going to be so, so different from somebody like Elwood, who was growing up with Martin Luther King and, King and growing up with, with the civil rights movement. And, you know, and then his father, who was was in the war. And, you know, that's that's a huge part of how, American society got so many black people to be involved in the war, this this attempt at at status, you know, that you would get you would kind of raise above your station and um, this kind of 
you know, dangling carrot of social status. And of course, you know, they mention it very briefly within the book that when he comes back from the war, that that status isn't there. It's the yeah, oh, promise yeah. was broken. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very much so. And she ends up losing her, you know, she loses her brother or her son-in-law. She loses her, her, um, her daughter. Um, there's kind of brief kind of little moments where you hear why, you know, where her, her father went and where her husband went and she just slowly loses so many people in her life, you know, and she's very much the character, you know, through her eyes, we see the generational impact of, of, of systemic racism within, you know, American society. Um, but she's still there and she's still surviving despite the fact that the world has taken chunks out of her. And I just thought that, that that's such a, an, an incredible character. Absolutely. And I think we need somebody like that to, to kind of counter the, the cruelty that we see coming from the other characters. And there's, I think there's a wonderful moment where Turner talks about the fact that, you know, in his philosophy, the world is a really cruel place and people are just as violent outside of the Nickel Academy, outside of the Reform School, but on the inside, they don't have to pretend. And, and I think that, like, I don't know if that's a philosophy that Colson White had necessarily 100% agrees with, but I do think it's something that we can, it's something I think that's a truism when it comes to institutions and the danger of institutions, whether they be like ideological institutions like religion or actual physical institutions where certain people are in the power of other people, whether they be, you know, in terms of mental health or in terms of uh, incarceration or anything like that. Um, And the dehumanizing effect that it can have both on the victims and on the perpetrators. And I think that's something that we can, again, kind of map back onto the Irish experience. Yeah, I I completely agree. There is, is something they say at the end where you know, there's, you know, there's, once again, not to give too much away, but there is, you know, a, a fast forward and, and Elwood says, you know, that you know, no matter how, how long he's been outside of Nickel, he still finds other people to be this mystery, you know, and, you know, there's also a moment where he meets somebody from, from Nickel as, as, a, as an adult and they go for a beer and, you know, he realizes that like so, so many of, of, of the of the the children that that ended up through that system, you know, didn't end up assimilating correctly because obviously the amount of trauma that they had, and a lot of them ended up, you know, in you know, in addiction or died or died young or 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 went to prison, and all of these things. And you know, it's it's a reminder as to why these institutions existed, including the Irish institutions. This was not for assimilation. This was not for some kind of um, like a moral cleansing of a person so they could go out and, and, and reintegrate into the world. This was an attempt at an erasure of a part of our society that we didn't like to see, you know. And uh, it's, 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 it's what happened in, in Ireland. It's, it's what's what happened in, in Florida. And also what happened in Canada, you know, to, to the First Nation people as well. You know, I've got family who are First Nation and, you know, they've they've told me stories about the way that they, they separated families as well. You know, and, and it was also, it was, it was, it was Catholic. It was the Catholic institutions that did that too. So like, it's, it's really all over and it is. And, and then we look at direct provision that's happening today. You know, the fact that the way that we extend our empathy towards, towards refugees is, is abhorrent. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and also what's happening on the American border still. Um. Yeah. Yeah. But I suppose rather than ending it on a serious note like that, well, obviously it's a serious book, and that's why it's important. But would you would you recommend it, Jess? Did you did you enjoy it? Yeah, I mean, I this you know, and just just to be aware, I I finished this book a couple of hours ago, so and I've had you know a couple of cups of coffee as well, so I'm kind of like <laughs> I'm in like full radicalization mode, you know, being like this has to all stop now, you know, I am Elwood right now, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I have that fire in my belly, yeah, and and that's what it gives you, yeah. and I think if if a book of of two hundred pages uh, can make you cry. And then also give you give you a, a, a fire in your belly to be a continuation of Elwood's worldview. Then then all the better, you know. And so I would I would certainly and also it's it's so so beautifully written. Um, I would absolutely recommend it. Yeah, I don't think there's any higher recommendation than all that. Um, so thank you so much for chatting to us today, Jess. Thank you so much for listening and be sure to tune in to the other episodes as we count down to the 2021 Dublin Literary Award winner announcement. Wherever you're listening from, we invite you to join us for the online award ceremony on Thursday, the 20th of May. Yes, and you can book your free ticket at www.ilfdublin.com. And there is where you can browse the other fantastic events in this year's International Literature Festival Dublin programme.